All right, B&B fans, we are live again. Episode 12, Business and Buckets, proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete or busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Whether you're trying to run a 4040 or lift over 400 pounds, or really just enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use code BUCKETS for 20% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 20% off. And, you know, what I have to say about Fueled Supplements is, hey, if you're buying proteins, you're buying daily multivitamins, you're buying Fueled Greens or pre-workouts, Give them a shot. Check them out on the website. They have a lot of different products for different specifics, non-stim, low-stim, high-stim, pre-workouts. You could use a promotion code on everything except protein. I highly recommend it. I've been getting more adverse into their uh, supplements and have another package coming in soon so I could speak further into them. Uh, But highly recommend checking it out. If you're going to invest in supplements, give the the smaller non-corporate company a chance. They're doing really awesome things. So thanks again, Fueled Supplements, for keeping me going and spreading the word of business and buckets. Let's dive in. Going to start with the NFL again. Obviously, it's off-season. But hey, fun time of year. We got March Madness. UFC's pumping amazing fights damn near every single Saturday. We also have free agency in the NFL. And it's the second half of NBA season. So a lot of fun things, but I will uh, continue to keep keep speaking to, uh, to the NFL first at the stop, uh, start of the show. First thing, Dak Prescott, congratulations, man. Finally getting the contract that he deserves. As we all know, he bet on himself, did a, a, a one-year prove-it deal, ended up getting injured, but the Cowboys were able to see, you know, how lackluster of a team they are without his versatility running and throwing the ball. Um when it comes to the actual Cowboys, though, and is this really a win for them? To me, it's you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Most teams that are struggling to make the playoffs on a year-to-year basis or just struggling in general lack one thing, a franchise quarterback. You have to have him as your franchise quarterback. There's been a revolving door of quarterbacks. Andy Dalton's not going to be the guy he couldn't do in Cincinnati um, and obviously couldn't really do it with the Cowboys last year. And sure, there's holes in the Cowboys roster. We'll see what happens with free agency and the new salary cap finally set in stone at $182.5 million, which is a lot lower than what teams are expecting pre-COVID. You know, rumor on the street is people are expecting over $300 million, but they paid their guy $160 million, $40 million a year, uh, one of the biggest, richest contracts in NFL history, especially with the, the, the signing bonus and guaranteed money. But let's say the Cowboys don't do Dak are they going to find a guy in the draft? Potentially. I had talked a couple episodes ago about how one and a half quarterbacks each year turn into a, a decent quarterback, franchise caliber quarterback in the NFL. That's risk. Free agency is a risk. Dak has proven in your system, has been successful. Um, so do you want to risk having four or five, ten years of a, a revolving door at quarterback? Do you want to sign your guy that could help you win now, which your roster is really built to win now? You know, when it comes to trading, I don't really know if they have much opportunity there. Um, and my sports take of the week actually comes from Colin Cowherd. He loves to speak on Dak and the Cowboys. Um, but he had a good point. They have five of the highest paid players at their position on this roster. 
that's just not going to get the job done. I know that Jerry loves the flashy offensive players, uh, but defense definitely needs an overhaul. This team has the pieces to do work, and I had talked about I expect them to be a lot like the Steelers last year when Ben coming back, starting the season well, being a force to be reckoned with. You know, their ceiling, a lot is going to depend on free agency, but I just don't think this, you know, these aren't the moves that are going to cement this team to be a contender every year, especially at the level of competition that we have as of today. So, you know, it's a great contract. Dak deserves it. He's a great leader. You know, he's been an underdog since he came out of Mississippi State. So I enjoy watching him uh, do well, and I'm happy for him. But I don't think that Dak's the type of guy that's going to leapfrog the Cowboys into Super Bowl contention. But it's the NFL. It's a really hard league to win every single year. But the Cowboys are on the spotlight. They've struggled for a, a ton of years. They have a loyal fan base that's etching, you know, itching to do something. Uh, I expect them at this point to make a run in the playoffs because their division's a fucking dumpster fire. Uh, but I, I, it's tough. They're, like I said, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If I rank Dak Prescott in top starting, starting quarterbacks in the NFL, he's definitely not top five. Uh, top 10 is pretty questionable. Um, so, you know, it's a tough move, but do you want to risk the the opportunity of free agency trying to draft a quarterback as we've seen a lot of teams have struggled and haven't been very successful in that? Outside of Dak Prescott, not a lot of huge headlines besides who has been franchise tagged and who's free agents. So I have pulled up an article. Uh, it's actually um, by The Score, which is a sports app. I don't use it a lot. I do uh, sign up for their notifications. They bring in cool stories. Just gives you a variety outside of just the core players, ESPN, Bleacher Report that everyone uh, uses day to day now. So they had ranked their top 100 players that are free agents. We'll run through some on the list and I will do a little bit of matchmaking, have some fun where I think would be good fits and where I expect the players to go. Their number one ranked free agent is Trent Williams. Man, Trent Williams, 32 years old, but he's one of the best linemen for the past, really, decade. Uh, he has earned a Pro Bowl nod in eight seasons he's played since 2012. And we know Shanahan and his offense, especially if they keep Jimmy Garopp uh, Garoppolo and that run game with, like, a three, four-headed monster, Trent Williams has to be a piece of that. So I'd imagine they find a two, three-year short-term deal that makes it work. If not, there's going to be almost everyone in the league wanting to get this guy uh, that has cap room, which a lot of teams don't. I'm a Steelers fan with the $182.5 million. They'll have some room to keep a couple of their free agents, but they're going to lose majority of the guys that we had expected, and they're not going to have room to sign guys like Trent Williams. So, you know, I would assume that if the Niners don't keep them, teams with a lot of money like the Jets, uh, who I'm, I'm imagining Sam Darnold being their quarterback, but even if they do trade for someone, got to keep that guy upright. So Trent Williams, definitely a hot commodity. Um, the Buccaneers decided to franchise take Chris Godwin instead of Shaq Barrett. You know, Shaq Barrett's really boomed uh, the past couple of years, was more of like a journeyman average player, uh, edge rusher. Uh, but he did really well last year in the postseason, the Super Bowl, throughout the whole season with the Buccaneers. I would expect the Buccaneers try to keep him, but Tom Brady keeps wanting to get better offensive players. He's, there's rumors of OBJ. I mean, who knows what the hell the Bucs are going to do, and it seems like Tom Brady gets to do what he wants, and Bruce Arians lets him do it. Uh, so maybe Shaq Barrett doesn't return, uh, but if he doesn't, I would assume a contender that needs edge rushing, one of the hottest you know, positions for teams that they're searching for, I'm sure he'll be in good hands. Uh, I would expect him to return to the Bucks, though. 
Number three, Kenny Galladay. I can't believe that he is up for free agency. This guy is one of the more underrated. I mean, I don't know if he is underrated. He's not considered a superstar, but he has a lot of potential. Um, but I would like to see him in a lot of teams. If he doesn't return to the Lions, which it doesn't seem like will happen at this point as they're kind of going and starting a, a new chapter, um, the Jets are a big name that's looking for receivers. Uh, the Raiders could use a big play receiver. Uh, the Chargers. I mean, there's lots of different teams that this guy can go to. Uh, I'm interested to see where he goes because he's going to make an instant impact and will be somebody to uh, watch for all of us fantasy football players out there. Aaron Jones, same thing like Shaq Barrett. little surprised by this one. I would expect him to stay with the Packers. And rumor and when it comes to making sense of position and team, uh, if he doesn't go back to the Packers, I would assume that he definitely goes to Miami. Um, the Packers also have A.J. Dillon, young draft pick. Looks like a young stud. I think he's the future. Jamal Williams is a free agent as well. So if they don't keep Jones... Um, I would be a little surprised because they are in more of a win-now mode. But if not, I could definitely see him in Miami, uh, which would be a great fit for both teams. We have Yannick Ngakwe, who somehow can't stick to a team. Um, you know, Is there a reason that the Jaguars and Vikings and Ravens all don't want to give him an extension? Possibly. But he does still put up numbers. So again, as an edge rusher, damn near half the league is going to be going after this guy. It's going to be who has the money to do work with him. Number six. Potentially a little higher rated than I would expect, but uh, Juju Smith-Schuster definitely won't be returning to the Steelers. He's talked about a bajillion times that he wants to stay there. Supposedly, he was on Twitch saying, uh, March 17th, I'm a free man, so maybe he doesn't want to be there that much, or he's slighted that the Steelers aren't uh, attempting to keep him uh, at a discounted rate. Uh, but rumor is the Jets have been moving in on him. They really want him. Sam Darnold played with him in USC. They did really good there. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of teams uh, that would be interested in Juju. I've even seen rumors that he'd go to the Ravens. Oh, man. You know, I love the kid, the just the energy that he brings to the locker room, but if he went to the Ravens, he would definitely move up my uh, dartboard of, you know, like highest, most wanted enemies, um, and I'd want to beat the shit out of them. But lots of teams would be interested in Juju. Uh, we also have, you know, maybe even the Raiders, I think would be a great fit there. Um, Will Fuller, you know, he's having some, uh, <laughs> enhancing drug issues. Um, but the speed and the capabilities of this guy are phenomenal. There's rumors that the Packers have been linked up to him, but if the Packers haven't made this many moves on receivers for this long, especially in the draft, why would they want a guy that could potentially get suspended is had some issues there. I don't see that happening, but anyone that needs a speed receiver for sure will be making moves there. Number eight, Hunter Henry. He has to return back to, with Justin Herbert, Her, Herbert, right? I mean, the guys loved him. He was an awesome target, third down, over-the-middle type guy for him. If not, I'd expect him uh, to be making moves. I would love to see him on the Steelers. We can't get tight ends to save our lives, and Ebron's dropping balls left and right. That'll never happen, though. Uh, but, yeah, a little surprised that the, the Chargers hadn't tagged him, and I would expect him to be a very hot commodity. Corey Lindsey, center of the Packers. I would love the Steelers to have an opportunity, but I don't think we have the money. Um, pretty consistent offensive lineman. Him and Joe Tooney, who got uh, non-tagged by the Patriots, will be hot commodities everywhere. A lot of these teams that are looking at young quarterbacks that are forming the team need to keep them upright, like the Jaguars, the Jets. Um, who knows what the hell the Texans are even thinking at this point, but those guys will be uh, hot, hot commodities there. 
Anthony Harris, safety. I love this guy and his play. Um, you know, his 2020 wasn't probably his best season. Um, but teams that are working on defense, Cowboys have a you know revolving door of secondary right now. Um, that would be a great fit, in my opinion. We also have Bud Dupree. Oh, man. You know, I would love to keep Bud Dupree coinciding with my guy, uh, TJ, because they've been a force to be reckoned with. And coming off ACL injury, there's rumor that they could keep him at a pretty affordable rate. Uh, but it seems like with the 182 and a half million dollar cap limit. I don't think that's going to be very realistic. Um, so again, there's a lot of edge rushers here. It's going to be making impacts. And I would assume more of the contending teams that are missing just a couple pieces will be there. Um, I could see the Seahawks being a, an amazing fit for him though. Already talked about Joe Tooney, number 12, Matt Milano testing free agency, big season with Buffalo. Obviously Buffalo just boomed onto the scene last year. I'm not too sure what's going to happen with him. Um, you know, he's a, what we've seen of Matt Milano is probably the, what you're going to get. I don't think he has a lot more room for improvement, uh, but teams that are looking for a consistent middle linebacker will definitely make moves on him. Uh, John Johnson, safety number 14. Um, this guy flies all over the field. I know that he's had shoulder, shoulder surgery, but again, teams looking secondary Falcons, potentially Cowboys. I, I could see that being a good fit. Marvin Jones, you know, Marvin Jones keeps impressing me as he keeps performing year in and year out, especially being in Detroit. Uh, change of scenery would probably be beneficial to him, but I don't think, I think that's a little high at 15. Um, and I could see guys like teams like the Falcons or maybe even the Bengals making moves at him to have some more veteran leadership on the team. Richard Sherman, 33, still out there balling. I have no idea who's going to want to make moves on him. Um, obviously, as he stayed in the NFC West, I would expect him to get far away from the NFC West this time, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, go quickly on the next couple. We have Trey Hendrickson, who damn near led the league in sacks this year, and Matt Judon, uh, both edge rushers. The edge rusher free agency list is pretty big this year, but they're also expensive. Uh, so again, I'd expect, contender, expect contenders to go through them. Uh, Chris Carson and KJ Wright, both of the Seahawks. I would assume they try to keep KJ right, but he said he wanted to take a discount for them. And Chris Carson's definitely going to be gone. Um, he's proven he's kind of like James Conner. He can't stay healthy. So I'd assume a team is wanting to use him, not quite as a bell cow back, but more of a committee back. I think a great fit would be Jacksonville. Having him and um, Robinson run together would be awesome, but maybe even uh, Atlanta. But I feel like Atlanta can't keep taking risks on running backs within, that are injury prone. Uh, we have Leonard Floyd and Hassan Reddick, both edge rushers. I think Hassan Reddick's going to make a big impact. Um, Leonard Floyd still performing well as uh, uh, the past couple of years as well. But again, high price, probably going to go to contenders. Alex Mack, center, he's going to be awesome. Antonio Brown, I would assume he goes to Buccaneers or doesn't play. Shaq Griffin, I think he could do well for a team. I do think he's a little overrated, and the, and the Seahawks have realized that. Uh, Carl Loss, another edge rusher, be contender opportunity. Uh, Kenyon Drake, not too sure what to think about him. Um, another committee back that could be in somewhere maybe more low risk than Chris Carson, and maybe Atlanta would be a great fit. Um, someone like this, depending on how much you can get for them, I would even like to see on a team like Pittsburgh or uh, Cincinnati to help back up 
Um, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard actually did really well for him last year. I'm not sure what his contract situation is, uh, but running backs by committee is the future, and I believe a lot of teams are going to try to get uh, some extra depth there. Corey Davis, the perfect fit to me if he's not back in Tennessee is Baltimore. Uh, having him mix all over the field, the physical toughness and vertical capabilities that he has mixed with Mark Andrews and um, Hollywood Brown, I think that would be tremendous. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens need to make moves on a receiver. We got Patrick Peterson, Troy Hill, corners. Patrick getting a little older. Those guys will be interesting to see where they go. I'm sure they still have uh, good years. Obviously, Troy Hill's younger will do really well. Um, but Patrick Peterson, I think, still has some good years in him. Nelson Aguilar, I would assume, stays with the Raiders. He reinvigorated his career there uh, this year. Jameis Winston, I think, will start for the Saints. Curtis Samuel ranked 36. I would imagine that he's a hot, hot commodity. Um, there's rumors that uh, Ron Rivera wants him in Washington. That would be an, a perfect fit. We got Justin Houston, 32 years old, but still making moves. That's another contender edge rusher candidate. Russell Okun. Uh, I don't know what to think about him. He's a hell scare, but someone will, who needs lineman depth, probably get him on a pretty cheap contract. My guy, Mike Hilton, 39. I want him to stay with the Steelers, so I'm just going to say Steelers. I think we can get a, a decent deal cut with the, the extra room that we have. Carlos Dunlap, again, going to be hitting the market. Contender capability there. Uh, T.Y. Hilton. I would assume he stays with the Colts on a discounted rate, especially with Carson Wentz there. Uh, but he would be a good fit for um, Baltimore, uh, even Atlanta. Um Probably, you know, the Jets, obviously, who clearly needs receivers. Cincinnati, he could go lots of places. Uh, James Conner, again, more running back by committee. The Steelers realized that he couldn't be a bell cow. Um, Jalen Brown, I'm not sure where he's going to go. I think Titans probably don't have the price, but he's in, you know, he's 26 years old. He's in his prime. I think he should probably be ranked a little higher. And then uh, we have Rob Gronkowski. I would assume he only stays with the Buccaneers or he retires. Um, Melvin Ingram, I think that would be a great value for teams contending another edge rusher. Cam Newton, I would assume, stays with the Patriots. Uh, Chidobia Woozy, I do like him. He's only 25 years old. Uh, he's going to go somewhere and make an impact. I would expect a lot of teams that are, are wanting to go for him. Jadavion Clowney, who knows what the hell is going to happen to him, but I'm sure he goes to a contender on a one-year cheap contract. Uh, Johnny Smith, I think, would be a great fit for uh, tight end needy teams, especially like the Bills, who could use some veteran experience. I think the Bills is a perfect fit for him. I really like Keanu Neal at safety. I'm surprised he's ranked 52. Uh, Nadamakan Sue, he's got to be towards the end. Uh, Andy Dalton, uh, you know, he's going to back up somewhere. We got Desmond King, 55. Alejandro Villanueva at 56. Villanueva underperforming this year he'll probably get a cheap contract for another team uh desmond king got torched uh, it's going to be tough for him how they have marlon mack at 57 i'm not sure maybe just because of the injury but this guy's performed he's young i would love the steelers to get him he's only 25 years old if we can get a cheaper contract uh but anyone who's smart is going to make moves at marlon mack um Jarrell casey he's a beast in the middle someone's going to want him tyson alu for the steelers i would assume that he stays Leonard Fournette, not too sure what the Bucks can do if they still have this money, uh, but teams will want to look at him, especially after the performance in the playoffs and Super Bowl. Same with Jamal Williams, good running back by committee. 
Uh, Gerald Everett, potentially uh, rumored to the Seahawks. Sammy Watkins still playing well. I would assume he probably stays with Kansas City. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 68. I'm not sure if he's going to have an opportunity. We'll see how some of these quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson shake out the Bears situation. James White, I think he's another low-key. He's ranked 71 on this list. That's going to be a hot commodity. Uh, Jared Cook, I would assume he's got to be close to retiring. Let's see, who else do we got that sticks out? Malcolm Butler, 78. He's 31, but I would still, you know, kind of like Joe Hayden, be a, a very consistent corner that teams are going to want. And then we have A.J. Green, number 81. He's got to go somewhere to a contender. They have Ryan Kerrigan, 85. He's only 32. Um, another contender, Ed Rusher. I like the guy. Mark Ingram, 87. That's a high risk. Let's see. Alex Smith, probably going to retire. Todd Gurley, I would assume he's got to be damn near done. Um, 97, Deshaun Jackson, contender. He's 34 years old, but he's still got that damn speed. There's a little bit of free agency inside, a little bit of matchmaking there. It's going to be fun, though. Um, lots of big names there, especially um, a couple that I really hit home on. Obviously, the top 20s, big names. Uh, but I'm really interested to see where Marlon Mack goes, as I think he is going to really make a difference for a team. Oh, very young, showed his capability, proven back. I think he'll recover fine. Now, let's talk UFC, man. We had the three-title fight. Stacked pay-per-view, was super pumped. The prelims, it was like knockout, knockout, submission. Everything's going well. My first parlay decision win. I'm feeling good. Uh, the actual main prelim card, things were looking good. Really good competition. Uh, we'll talk about the Kyler Phillips, Song Yudong fight, one of my favorite fights of the night. Then we get into the main card, start slowing down. We have the DQ. Nunez does Nunez things. And uh, I did enjoy the Izzy fight. So it was a little bummed at the actual main card, but what an awesome card. Fun time. I had some friends over, uh, grilled some food. I love me some UFC on a Saturday night. Let's start early prelims. Boy, did this fight card start off well. Tevin Jones with an awesome knockout of Mario Batista, who is no uh, chump. Next two fights on this fucking pre early prelims went knockout. And then there was a third round submission then a second round knockout. So early prelims came to show out, was doing work, knew they had eyes on them because of the stack card and uh, what quite performances. But I had to give Tevin Jones a shout out. That was an awesome performance over a very tough Mario Batista. Interested to see where this guy goes next. My first parlay and fight uh, that I really tuned into was the Tim Elliott unanimous decision over a very good Jordan Espinoza. Started my parlay off right, feeling good. Elliot just smothered Espinoza, didn't give him a chance. That guy's got cardio. He comes at you, kind of Clay Guida-esque. Uh, he's now number 10 in the rankings. Kai Kara France, we'll talk about him in a second. He won as well, same card. I could see that being a great fight for them. Kara uh, France, um, a little bit younger, but Tim Elliott proven his way. He's lost to a lot of the top guys in the division um, and been bested by them, but I'm excited to see what's next for these guys. Tim Elliott looking good. He's one of my favorite flyweights. Kai Kara France did knock out Rogerio Bontorin. You know, Bontorin was controlling the fight early. I was, you know, like, oh, shit, second fight on my parlay. This is not looking good. I was smoking a cigar on the deck. was just like, oh, shit, it's over. All of a sudden, bleak of eye, I looked over, and France had clipped him for the finish, kept my parlay alive. Night's feeling good. We got all these knockouts. I think at this point, like five knockouts. 
Um, he pulled off the W. Um, but yeah, I I, I like the Kai Kara France versus Tim Elliott fight. Um, maybe move up and fight Joseph Benavidez, who's still number four. Um, maybe Alex Perez, number five. Joseph Benavidez on a continuous losing streak. He's a guy that I could even see be cut from the USC, but I think he still has a fight on his contract. Um, and the flyweight division needs him, to be honest, because it just doesn't have a, a, a solid 15. And Dana's already talked about potentially cutting that division out previously, and I'm sure will still be rumored to do later uh, in the future. Uh, but what a performance by Kai Kara France, part of the Izzy team getting a dub. Askar Askarov, unanimous decision over Joseph Benavidez. You know, Askarov's no joke, man. What a performance with him. Dana White said that he should be fighting for the title. He vouched for it. He's beaten a lot of the top guys in the division. I think he gets that chance. And uh, it was just a total domination over a very good Benavidez. Um, I had questioned Benavidez's mental toughness. You know, what is he going for at this point? It's more just about legacy. But this guy just outworked him from start to finish. He didn't make weight, so he lost 20% of his purse. Uh, I felt like he was just like, fuck it, dude. Benavidez has to fight like he's not going to say no because uh, this is his last chance if he beats me to uh, get into title contention one more time like I don't want to cut the weight I don't know how much he was over uh, but he didn't need to get it uh, down he got the job done uh, it's going to be very tough for anybody in that division 58 significant strikes five takedowns against Benavidez you know like I said not sure where he go Benavidez goes from here I believe he's got around one more fight on his contract, so uh, potentially Kai Kara France or another young gun uh, to try to get that momentum back, but it, it's, a, it's a downhill slide for him at this point. And then we got Kyler Phillips with the unanimous decision over Song Yedong, one of my favorite fights. These guys are just going at it. Kyler Phillips was showing his flair, showing his unorthodoxness. Uh, he's been training with uh, Tranquino, really good black uh, belt jiu-jitsu, one of the best in the world, uh, and Sean O'Malley, who has a lot of that. This is the same division. A lot of those guys in that camp are in the bantamweight division. Uh, but Kyler Phillips, you know, highest in the rankings now after a very tough Song Yudong, who is a young stud, and I'm sure will be back. These two will probably fight again. They'll probably be in contention for the title in the future. Um, you know, this is the one that lost my my parlay. Was a little bummed as I picked Song Yudong. Um, but hey, Kyler Phillips now 14th in the rankings. Um, I didn't agree with the unanimous decision. You know, looking at the stats, it's really hard to understand that. Um, I guess the takedowns are just really valued in this, but Song had, in my opinion, landed a lot of, of powerful shots. Um, so I, I didn't think it warranted a unanimous decision. I think he absolutely won around. But hey, you know, who am I? I don't know shit, but neither do the judges. They don't fight either. Um, I actually had Yadong winning, to be honest. So unanimous decision shot, uh, shocked me. You know, I look at the stats on the UFC website. But like I said, it, it must have just been the flash, the way he finished, and the three takedowns were too much uh, on the judges' scorecards gave him that UD decision. Great performance, Kyler Matrix. Phillips, though, excited to watch him again. Uh, I hope he gets back in that ring early. And like I said, I'm sure we'll see these guys fight again. And then my guy, after BJ Penn, BJ Penn retired, I wanted to pick a favorite fighter. Uh, ended up falling in love with Dominic Cruz. You know, bajillion injuries, has only fought a couple times the past few years, more of an announcer now, uh, but was super pumped to see him back in the octagon. And again, another guy that's in the bantamweight class that's close with that camp uh, was Sean O'Malley. Casey Kenny, man, tough son of a bitch. Um, 
you could tell Dom looked a little rusty. He had his footwork going, had his movements, but it wasn't just as sharp as even when I saw him against Cody Garbrandt when he got his ass kicked. But um, Kenny's a tough guy, man. He, you know, this puts uh, uh, Dominic Cruz up to number nine in the division now. Um, the fight that makes sense to me. Why, why, why don't we have Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar? Two legends. It's a win-win for both guys. Even if they lose, it is what it is. I think this would be awesome. That's the fight that makes too much sense for me. Dana White, Sean Shelby, book it. Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar. Those styles, that action, it's going to be interesting. You know, I would see Frankie Edgar just trying to get that takedown and grind him out, which probably end up getting the dub, to be honest. But, hey, Dom's a legend. He's been in this for a long time. And this would be a fight that I think uh, all, all fight fans will be jumping up and down for. And then we move in uh, to the Alexander Rachik unanimous decision over Tiago Santos. What a performance by Rachik. I mean, this kid is unbelievable. And as I said last week, he's going to terrorize people in this division for a long time. He's barely in his fight prime, maybe even a little early at 29 years old. Um, looking at the statistics, I was surprised uh, again. There was some weird judging in this this uh, full card, honestly. But the unanimous decision didn't really make sense to me. The website and UFC I talk about is garbage all the time. Looking at the stats, though, clearly the, either the stats or the judges are on crack. Santos had 61 strikes to Rachik's 50. Santos had 49 significant strikes versus Rachik's 36. So if I'm looking at stats like that, how the hell they can get this unanimous decision, I'm not sure. Santos at the end acted like he won, and I knew he didn't win. The unanimous decision is a slap in the face, but like he didn't try to win the fight. He had a good early rounds. He was able to keep him with his kind of wimpy leg kick that Looked a lot better when he was fighting Jones, to be honest, but maybe his knees aren't fully healthy after recovery. I'm not sure. But he didn't go out and try to steal that fight. Rachik was just the, the guy that uh, pushed it over and really showed that he wanted to win that fight. And where does Santos go from here? You know, I thought Santos would beat Glover Teixeira in a uh, nice fashion, boost himself back into title contention, lost that fight, fighting a young up-and-comer, you know, a name that we all think will probably be a stud in this division, uh, has another chance, just doesn't even look like he wants it. So um, Santos is definitely a guy I'm not vouching for anymore. But Rachik, man, what a performance. He's a stud against a very tough Santos. After the fight, they gave him his brown belt. That's got to be a press play, right? He did nothing that was related to jiu-jitsu there. I have never seen the guy do jiu-jitsu. Um, that's just got to be a press play, or he was like really vouching to try to get this brown belt if he got a win. Um, makes me wonder how legit that brown belt is on that presentation, if anything. But, hey, kid's a stud. You know, all props to him. Um, not sure where Santos goes from here. He's still ranked number four, but has three losses in a row. And just doesn't look like the Santos that we saw versus John Jones. So, who knows? Will be interesting. The fight that makes sense to me now that Raychick's just booming up in this division, though. Why don't we put him up against Dominic Reyes? That is must-see TV. I would love to see that happen. Um, again, Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar, Sean Shelby, Dana White, book that shit. And then we got Dominic Reyes versus Raychick. I think those are the fights to be had. And I think would have everyone buzzing in the UFC world. Before the three title fights, we have Islam Makachev with the round three submission over Drew Dober. 
You know, Makachev was as advertised. He gave Dobert no chance. He took him down, grinded him out Khabib style like uh, Daniel Cormier and Khabib said he would. Um, just didn't really give him a shot. I mean, Dober had 14 strikes landed, so never really had a shot. Drew, Drew Dober is a tough son of a bitch and really good striker, but that type of level of grappling is just going to own fighters and is going to help Islam move up the division. Is it what the people want to see? Is it the flashy flareness? No, absolutely not. But with that kind of grappling and wrestling, it's going to move him up and beat some names that I think will surprise some people. He called out Tony Ferguson, and that would be fine. That's not an enticing fight to me. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to take Tony down, wear him out. Tony's older. Um, you know, everyone talks about his conditioning. That's fine. Maybe he gets some elbows on the ground. Uh, but that's not really the fight I want to see. I want to see him take on uh, Benil Dariush. He asked for an up-and-comer. Uh, Dariush is good on the ground as well, and I think would clearly outstrike him. So this would be a good test for Islam, a good opportunity for Dariush to finally move up into the higher parts of the ranks in this very stacked lightweight division. Uh, so that's the fight for me. Book it up. I'm the matchmaker. Watch it happen. Uh, but please don't put him up against Tony Ferguson. I would rather see other things. Now, Aljamain Sterling and Pewter Yawn. This fight was everything I wanted in the first few rounds, and I was pumped as this was the first of the three title fights. Sterling looked great early. He's switching stances. He's flowing. But I think he just went so hard, and he's never fought in a five-round fight. And I think that he thought he had Peter uh, you know, back against the wall, potentially going to be able to get him where he could submit him or even knock him out. But Peter Jan's fucking conditioning is amazing. The guy's an awesome striker. Uh, the announcers were even talking about how Jan was just doing everything more efficiently uh, come late second into the third round. He was switching stances as well, but Aljamain's taking these big leaps, using energy, breathing deep. So I think that surprised him. Now, let's talk about the knee. I've seen lots of different things on this. Live, slow-mo, I don't give a shit. It's clearly, clearly an illegal knee, and this is bonkers. I haven't seen some shit like this in a very long time. Even some of the other illegal knees that I've seen in the UFC have been you know, like, okay, cool, they didn't really understand that. But the guy was laying on his knees in the octagon, had no energy left. Let him fucking up. He kept doing this weird thing of like keeping him down, letting him up, and it just didn't make any sense to me. Pewter, obviously, was either more tired than, than I thought, or was just really confused in the position. Um, but dude, yeah, that was super illegal and obvious. I don't care what the whole speculation is on this act, but hey, taking a knee to the fucking temple will destroy somebody. He was clearly concussed. So that's first thing. This fight has to be over. He's concussed. He can't be fighting, especially with you know all this study on concussions and brain damage that we have. So people that said the fight should have went on or Peter got you know fucked no absolutely not that's his own fault uh he's been in the octagon for a long time he knows that's clearly illegal now i was actually happy because i lost my parlays for the night but i had uh picked on a bet sterling to win in the fourth round i put 10 bucks on it and won 240 bucks so it actually gave me a five dollar winnings on the night even though i lost all my other bets so that was a plus but there has to be a rematch, first and foremost. I think Dana knows that. There's no other fight that's enticing. And what didn't sit well with me is the way Sterling handled that after the fight. If I got need 
DQ'd. He threw the title. So obviously he feels the same way I do. Like you didn't earn the title. This has to be ran back. But why are you doing a post-fight conference? Why are you taking photos like you're the champion? And then the next fucking Monday, he's taking photos with Henry Cejudo and teasing that fight. Like, those are the most worst moves you could do and is going to lose you fans such as myself. Uh, And and it's just pitiful, man. Um, You know, sure, you want to make your money. You're technically the champion. To me, the belt's up in the air. You guys have to fight again. And if I'm your manager, don't fucking say nothing or do anything until the fight. Get your conditioning right and get ready for a five fucking round fight because clearly you weren't ready for it. And and to me, that shocked me that he wasn't ready for that because his conditioning seems to be on point and he talks about it. Uh, but be more strategic, use the energy you know more wisely and burst you know when appropriate uh, because that's going to be the number one thing you got to prepare for for Pewter Yan because you can handle him and you can manage him through the five rounds, but you got to keep your energy and cardio on point because the man had nothing left, right? Round four. And I couldn't even imagine what round five would have been if he would have lasted, but yeah, did not sit right with me. I was super upset for that. You know, Jan looked like the better fighter in this five round fight. Sterling had more volume, but all was early in those first two rounds. And I think, like he said, he blew his wad. Um, but Jan was seven takedowns. Most of those were late takedowns. He was just throwing them, choke slamming them because Aljamain had nothing in his tank. Uh, but Sterling found out he couldn't end Jan early. So it will be interesting to see how he preps for this. Cause I think he thought he could. And especially after a big name like Corey Sandhagen finishing him early, he's probably a little overzealous and confident. But hey, this rematch is going to be awesome. I hope it happens sooner than later. I'm glad Sterling's okay after that illegal knee, but that was Bush League, and uh, Jan and team should be disgusted. Rumor is that Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw are going to fight, and the winner of that will get the winner of the rematch. I'm all into that. TJ Dillashaw, I know he's been out. I know he's been on um, steroids, but this guy is arms and legs better than a lot of these guys in the division. Putting him against a guy like Sanhagen, giving Sanhagen another shot, I think that makes too much sense. So I love that matchup. Uh, It's not confirmed. That's the rumor. uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happen. Both fights, super pumped. This bantamweight division, lots of exciting things going on. And I have talked about numerous times how I think there'll be multiple champs in that division this year. And that's already true, even though it happened in the worst case manner that we could expect. Not a lot to say on this Nunez fight. Um... (laughs) I had, for some reason, put some small bets on Anderson and Phil coaxed into it because I was losing my parlays just because the odds were atrocious, right? Like, first round knockout, Nunez, uh, Anderson was just like a bajillion dollars. Um, And if she was going to win, she's going to catch Nunez. It's the only way. Um, But I knew I was throwing money into the fire. Like, let's be honest. Nunez is the GOAT of all women, potentially UFC in general, hands down. And they showed some clips of Anderson walking in pre-fight, and it looked like she had seen ghosts. She's pretty white in general, but she was very pale and just didn't look like she wanted to even be there or belong there. And now after the fight, that was the end of her contract. She's been cut. There's rumors that they're going to cut the 145 division in women's. Um, But Dana said that if Nunez wants to keep um, defending it, he'll potentially keep it because she can uh, stay champ champ. But... The only fight that makes sense to me is Valentina Shevchenko. You know, Juliana Pena is trying to make this battle. You want to, needs to fight me. She doesn't want to fight me. 
But let's be honest, if Pena can get finished by other fighters in that division, she's not going to beat Nunez. So the only fight that is even appealing for me is the Shevchenko fight. They fought before, Shevchenko's went around. Shevchenko's a fucking badass. It's just, she's, it's like MJ, it's like, I'm a, as a Jazz fan, the Jazz were awesome, but the Bulls and MJ were better. You know, it's, dude, Shevchenko is a certified badass woman, but can she beat Nunez. So um, I would be excited for that. That's the only fight that really is there. And it's tough for the UFC because it's going to be hard to sell tickets for Nunez as a main event draw. Yeah, uh, it's just going to be interesting. Then we had the main event of the evening. Jan Blachowicz, unanimous decision over Israel Adesanya. I talked about the judging. Don't agree with the UD. I did think he did win. So the proper guy did win the fight. But, God damn, the judges were terrible that night. I think Izzy had won the first three rounds in my book. What had really made the difference and kind of tricked me, honestly. So, the first three rounds, Izzy had landed some more volume. And it looked like Jan was just going to be patient and try to outpoint him. But, in my opinion, he was losing. So, I was like, hey, this isn't going to work. You know, the Yoel Romero's and those other uh, couple fighters that Izzy's fought before, he's beaten them in this, like, let me get some kicks. Let me get some strikes just enough to win the scorecards over. So that's how I thought it was going to go. And then Blakovich just started taking him down and wearing him out. I mean, clearly, Izzy's a smaller guy. If you can take him down... I mean, I think that's everyone knows that that's Izzy's weakness, right? If you can take him down and smother him on the ground, you're going to beat him. And I was never as interested as a lot of the press had built up and UFC fans on the John Jones-Izzy fight for that manner. I think John Jones would take him down and just smother him out and then outstrike him on his feet, and Jan was able to do the same. He had a great game plan. His team let Izzy get overconfident, was patient with his strikes, landed him when he needed to, was able to open up the takedowns, and then in the second half of the fight, championship rounds, he just took him down and smothered him, uh, which went over the, the judges clearly as they gave him a UD, which was totally a slap in the face to Izzy. But hey, you know, everyone is making fun of Izzy, and John Jones says that he doesn't want anything. I mean, that fight's not going to happen at this point anyways. Um, but, hey, it's, it's a lot like Max Holloway when he lost to Dustin Poirier. This isn't going to tarnish Izzy's career. It won't leapfrog him into that super upper, upper echelon GOAT status, but I'm sure he'll rule the division for a while. I'm sure he'll be okay, and I don't think this takes too much of a hit on him. It, if anything, just makes Jan Blakovich look better. And now we get Jan Blachowicz and 40-whatever-year-old Glover Teixeira for the title. That's going to be interesting. I'll have to lay that out. But, you know, what I'm thinking now is I'm actually probably going to go with uh, Glover Teixeira because his ground game's next level. And he's going to do to Blachowicz what Blachowicz did to Izzy. But I'll digest that and look into some things further before, before that fight comes up. As Blachowicz said, he wants at least six months off to take some time before his next fight. I don't blame him. He's getting older. He wants to enjoy the title while he has it, especially, you know, winning the title and doing a pretty quick turnaround fight against a guy who's going for champ champ and wasn't superstardom at the time. Um, you know, in this fight with the judges too, me and my friends were talking because I had said that I thought Izzy was up. A lot of my friends were like, no, oh, Blakovich, yada, yada. I was interested on how they were going to score that because usually you have to beat the champ to be the champ, right? So, like John Jones, some of those close fights, Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, I knew John was going to win because he's a champ, and you got to beat him. So if it's a close fight, it's usually going to go to the champ if it's not draw territory. So Izzy's already a champ. You know, he has to beat the champ to be the champ, but he's already a champ. So I was interested to see 
Uh, but clearly, I felt like that has to be a factor as I gave him the UD. And that, like I said, that still just shocks me. Um, I expect this to make Izzy better, though. Uh, I'm sure he's going to go up to the drawing board. Hopefully, he works on his takedown defense. People are talking about in his camp that they want Darren Till. I'm sure you do. But I'm telling you, this rebirth Robert Whitaker, that's the fight. Get the rematch. And it's going to be tough for me to make a decision on that one, especially you know, after how he looks against Costa. But I think Whitaker is going to piece Costa up, and I think he's going to come for Izzy on a vengeance. And I wouldn't be surprised if he beats him and then we get an immediate rematch and, and we got a trilogy in our hands. Um, I like Robert Whitaker. He's impressed me all the time. He's pieced up Till himself. So I think uh, Izzy's camp's trying to uh, move around Robert. Robert and his team aren't very press heavy. They're not going to call their shots, shoot the shit. Uh, he just kind of quietly does his thing. Um, the only other thing I would like to see is Usman versus Izzy. That's the super fight I would have rather seen over Blakovich just because of the size differences anyways. Because Camaro is massive for his division. I'm saying fucking massive. The guy's huge. Um, but Usman said he'd rather have three uh, African champs than one, and he's not interested in that at all. I'll, you know, I'm sure Dana, let's say Whitaker pieces up Costa, Izzy pieces up Whitaker again. You know, maybe he gets a till fight, pieces him up. Where do you go from there? Especially if Usman is still the champ. Uh, you know, maybe he'll coax them into it, but it seems like they ha ha don't want anything to do with it. Announced fight, we have Rose Namhae-Yunus versus Wei Lei Zhang. Finally, I've been waiting for this fight for so long, and it's finally official. I don't know what took so long, um, but this is the woman's fight of the year. We saw what happened with Wei Lei and Yoana. I honestly thought, I can't remember. I think I thought Yoana won, but it was super close regardless. Um, this is going to be an awesome fight, but I feel like if it's that close, I still think Rose is going to do work here and remind people that she is the true champ. You know, she had mental issues after she was the champ, lost it to Andrade by getting slammed, even though she whooped her ass, came back in the rematch, still beat her. But Rose is that woman in this division, and I can't wait for her to show fans why she you know, who she is, what she's all about. Once again, I believe that's announced in the next couple months, like May or late April. So super pumped for that. But let's talk this upcoming fight night this Saturday. Super pumped for this one as well, uh, as we finally get to see Leon Edwards fight again. But let's talk prelims. A couple fights that, that piqued my interest in the prelims is in the women's division. We have JJ Aldrich fighting Courtney Casey. Uh, JJ, 28 years old, and Courtney Casey, 33. I've been doing this a lot lately. I was wanting to go with JJ, but just Casey with the better competition. She's more proven, has the experience. She's not too old yet. I think this will be a great fight, but I'm going Courtney Casey. That'll be a good way to start off uh, the, the prelim card. And then we finally get Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. I had analyzed this a few, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, but about a month ago or so. Uh, they got it rescheduled uh, because of COVID issues. Um, Hill beat her previously in 2017 by unanimous decision. I like Hill. She's got that grittiness. She's got that aggressiveness, like the Frankie Edgar of women's division. So I think that's just going to be too much for Ashley Yoder. I don't know a ton of Ashley Yoder, but I, I, I do know that this will be a good fight. I do expect Angela to Hill to win, and I'll probably pick her in my parlay for this weekend. Uh, but that's going to be a good fight in the women's division as well. And my fight of the night is Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. Ige, 29. Tucker, 34. 
Ige coming off a unanimous decision loss to Calvin Qatar before he got Super Saiyan uh, Goku'd by uh, Max Holloway. He beat Edson Barboza before that, who's a fucking savage. Um, Tucker's on a three-fight win streak. His last fight as late December, so not that long ago, over Billy Quarantillo. I picked Billy. I thought that he was going to be a little bit too much for Tucker. Tucker looked fantastic in that fight. Proved me wrong. I'm taking Ige again. He'll probably prove me wrong again, but Dan Ige is a savage. He's beaten really good competition. I like his fight style against Tucker. Uh, they're both black uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts. But yeah, this is my fight of the night. I think it's going to be an all-out war um, and probably will either end up in a submission or knockout uh, before a decision. But I'm going to go with Dan Ige. I just think he's too tough. Before the co- well, I don't know if this is really co-main event, but the fight before the main event, we have Misha Serkinov, 34 years old, versus Ryan Spann at 29. This fight was supposed to happen previously as well in December, uh, but Misha got pulled out due to injury. These are two savages. I mean, these guys are fucking savages. Misha won his last fight on like a Ru- Russian arm bar or, or neck crank or bow tie or whatever they want to call it. This guy is pretty deadly, but every time I watch Ryan Spanny improves and shows glimpses of his ceiling, and I think this is his biggest, toughest uh, test to date and can really get him into some tough competition. Um, like I said, Misha's tough. He's no joke. It's going to be a fun one as well. Probably end up in a knockout or submission. Uh, I could see Misha taking down Span and submitting him pretty early, but I think Span's going to come in at a lot of volume. He's going to have a lot of power behind those punches, and I think he gets the job done. So I'm going Ryan Span. And then we have the main event, Leon Edwards. He's only 29 years old, which is crazy. I don't even. I feel like he hasn't fought in years. I can't even remember his last fight. Let me pull it up real quick. Leon Edwards. 29 years old. His last fight, July of 2019, against Rafael Dos Anjos, who was a savage at the time. Beat him in a unanimous decision. Beat Gunnar Nelson, split decision. Beat Cowboy Cerrone, uh, unanimous decision, which was 2018. I mean, Cowboy was a savage there. He's beaten Vicente Luque. His losses are to the likes of Claudio Silva and Kamara Usman. This man is a savage. People forget. None of the top guys want anything to do with him for some reason, though. Uh, probably because they know they're going to lose. So, insert Bilal Muhammad, who just won, came off a victory. This was supposed to be the Chimaev fight. Multiple times, isn't happening. Was more excited for that, as I think Chimaev's better than Bilal. But hey, Bilal, Bilal is on a four-fight win streak. It's not going to be, you know, no, no slump. But I just don't think he has enough in the tank. Edwards has been resting. He hasn't had to take unnecessary damage. And this is his chance to prove to everyone who Leon Edwards is. And Dana said, if he wins, he gets the title fight. So this is what he's been wanting all that time off. You got to be a a lower ranked Bilal Muhammad who just came off another fight. I I just don't, I think this is a no brainer for Leon. I think he's going to come in and just try to demolish Bilal. And I like Bilal, but Edwards is going to be savagery in this one. He's in his prime. And he's going to show us the real Leon Edwards. Please stand up. I think this is going to look a lot similar to Muhammad's fight against Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal and Leon Edwards have a lot in common. High volume, very amazing cardio. And I'm interested to see how Bilal can match up, especially, I believe, since his main event will be a five-round fight. 
Um, the odds I haven't seen aren't out yet, so I, I don't know who the favorite is, but I would assume Leon Edwards has to be pretty heavily favored in this. Um, and then in that Jeff Neal fight, Bilal lost to unanimous decision um, in that fight. I think it was only a three-round fight, though. Pretty positive. So we'll see. This would be his first five-round fight. Um, I expect this to be a uh, light work for Leon, though, and we will see him fight for the title in 2021. Now we'll switch gears. Let's head to the hardwood for NBA second half all-star break. You know, last Wednesday, we were right before all-star break, and there was some big games. And I'm talking big games. We're talking number one seeded Philadelphia 76ers, number one seeded Utah Jazz, my Utah Jazz in Philly. And I was pumped for the Jazz to show people what they about. Donovan, 33 points, 34 shots. That is inefficiency is going to kill them and that's always been my knock on donovan i love donovan he can do so much but if you want to be a top dog you truly want to come out of the west beat the lakers clippers and have a chance you have to be efficient he had good uh play from bogdanovich and conley they gotta find ways when donovan's not hitting shots where to bring that ball or go to rudy down low you know you look at the stat line you're like holy shit and bed dominated go bear but a lot of this st- statistic line was off um, switches from Rudy and when he was on other players or on Derek favors but hey let's look at it 40 points 19 rebounds this guy's got to be MVP front runner especially after a game like that against the number one team in the west but the jazz got some problems uh, exposed to them in that game and if they want to be true contenders they know what they need to work on Um Don was whining after the game about the calls. They aren't getting calls that the other top teams are. You know, we're the number one team. We should be getting these calls. And I I felt differently about this multiple times. What does this really mean? What is he trying to say? To me, he wants to have the validation from people that they are a true contender and that he is a superstar. He's not getting that. I think he's a little frustrated because he is a very active social media guy. Uh, He tweets every single day. You know, he's known as like a fan favorite. He's very involved in the community. He does all those things well. But you can't be bitching about that. It shows weakness in my opinion. I know people bitch about calls, but to do that in the press, call out the refs, you got fined. Sure, it's the fucking Utah Jazz. This isn't an LA team. This isn't a New York team. But you know that. That's why you're there. You said you enjoy it. So just fucking put that chip on your shoulder. Go to work. Get in the gym. Get those shots a little bit more efficient. And show people what you're all about. But we cannot show that sign of weakness. I think this was a very big built-up game before the break. A lot of emotions coming out of him. He didn't have that very good of a night efficiency-wise. And I know Donovan knows just as much as I did. Sure, you got 33 points on the on the box score. But you didn't get the dub. And uh, a lot of those inefficient shots hurt the team. So I think it was just a lot of emotions. But it does show a little bit of weakness to me and probably a lot of the league. So I was a little bummed out about that. They got to turn it around and get their shit together. Also that Wednesday night, the Portland Trailblazers beat the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry with 35 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. Uh, Mello and Lillard combined 22 apiece. These games are getting good, ladies and gentlemen. You look at the Blazers, you look at the Warriors. That's must-see TV. Steph, Dame, they're about to <laughs> come to find out, play later in the All-Star game together. Uh, but that's must-see TV. Those games are, are a lot of fun. And the Blazers were able to come out top there before break. Uh, the Lakers dropped another game before the break without LeBron, though. He'd taken the night off. 
Uh, the Kings get a nice victory. Buddy Hill, 29, 6, and 6. 7 and 11. 7 for 11 from deep. Very inefficient game for Buddy Hill. I'm sure the Kings would like to see that happening and continue as they are currently 14 and 22. And probably out of the, the, the 10, 7 through 10 for the playoff uh, play in, unless they really get their shit turned around. The Thursday, last day before the break, the Celtics beat the Raptors. My guy, Chris Boucher, with 30 points off the bench. Got to give him a shout-out. Gave him a shout-out earlier. I talked about the Raptors needing bench play, and he keeps performing. Uh, Norman Powell with a nice 25 points. And Terrence Davis, who was the scorching guy off the bench for them with a 22-point game. But it wasn't enough. Uh, Jason Tatum with 27 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, Celtics looking to gain some momentum as they are in the fourth place at 19 and 17. But fourth place to 10th place is literally a three-game difference. So they got to keep it up. Big win for them heading into the break. And then uh, the Heat beat the Pelicans. Jimmy Buckets continuing to roll, baby. 29 points, nine rebounds. And then it's All-Star Weekend. Very blah event for sure. Usually you have All-Star Weekend. It was All-Star Sunday. It was a day event. I could barely stay tuned for the All-Star Game. The dunk contest is probably the worst that I've ever seen. Um, props to Sabonis for winning the skills comp as a big man. Guy can dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, the three-point contest was the highlight for me. It was Curry versus uh, Mike Conley, who wasn't even there. Um, Booker, for some reason, had pulled out very late. Gave him an opportunity because Booker was a fill-in for AD. Got an opportunity. I didn't think they would just throw him into the three-point contest. They did. And Mountain Mike almost showed out, man. I mean, he showed out, but he's against one of the best shooters all time. I think that surprised people a lot that Conley had that rhythm. Um, but hey, Conley is a huge piece for the Jazz, and he needs to continue to shoot like that if the Jazz want a shot at winning at all. Interesting headline here. They did the the draft, televised draft. LeBron and um, KD got to draft their teams. And the last two picks were Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And, you know... A lot of people in the the media weren't allowing that or letting them do that. And I felt, you know, edged as a Jazz fan. I'm like, what the fuck? These aren't the worst players in the All-Star. But uh, he said, hey, you know, no one wants the Jazz players. When I played video games as a kid, I never used Carl Malone and John Stockton. If you're talking to me about that, you can't. You best believe people were using Carl Malone and John Stockton. John Stockton had the shooting stats and Carl Malone be slamming it on your ass all day long. Um, so I don't know where that came from. I think he just needed an easy excuse. Um, let's be honest. They're number one in the West. It's his competition right now. He doesn't want anything to do with them. And apparently Kevin Durant didn't either. Uh, it just shows you more bullshit the Jazz's way. Donovan, don't go to the media and bitch about it. He didn't. Put that as a chip on your shoulder. Him and Rudy keep talking. The more shit that comes, the more motivated we are. So keep that motivation going. You win a ship and no one has can say shit. Uh, but that was very weird that they got last, especially when there was three players left. It was Donovan, Rudy, and Sabonis. And LeBron's like, all right, I need some size. Okay, cool. Insert Rudy Gobert. I'm going to draft Sabonis. I was like, uh, what the fuck? Uh, so that was really head-scratching. Um, but I'm sure a lot of it had to do that that's his toughest competition in the West this year. Well, that's debatable, Him, them and the Clippers, but they're the number one team. I had been bitching about the second half schedule coming out. Obviously, last week's episode had came out. But I am so pumped for the second half, especially with the trade deadline a couple weeks away. It's on March 25th. 
I think a lot of teams are going to make some moves. We've already seen Blake Griffin go to the Nets. I'll talk talk on that in a second. The Cavs are seriously trying to move Drummond. There's Porzingis rumors. There's all these rumors. A lot of the time, there's lots of buildup and not a lot of shit happens. Uh, but I do feel specific teams like the Raptors, if they want to make moves, the Celtics, big men, are going to make those moves. And uh, Aldridge is free. We'll talk about that in a second as well. Hall of Fame finalists announced. We got Chris Bosh, Chris Webber, Lauren Jackson, Jay Wright, Paul Pierce, Michael Cooper, Ben Wallace, and Yolanda Griffith. Super excited to see this uh, finalist list. Chris Bosh, that's my guy. I think he's one of the most underrated players in NBA history. Better get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we got Chris Webber. He was one of my favorite players growing up. Outside of the Jazz, another team I really enjoyed was his Sacramento Kings team. Um, I think he's the man. He's a great analyst. He deserves to be in there. Jay Wright, coaching my, my Villanova team. I've, I've read his book, The Culture He's Put In. He's made Villanova damn near a full blue blood college. Has the right to be in there. Paul Pierce, you're not better than D-Wade. Quit debating it. All bullshit aside, though, he deserves to be in. Uh, he's a legend guy on a very legendary team. Wearing that logo for the Boston team. Uh, winning championships. Ben Wallace, those Pistons teams against the Spurs those days. You know, some of the least favorite finals for me. It's true fundamental gritty basketball. But damn, anyone would want to have Ben Wallace on his team. He was fun. I remember playing uh, trampoline basketball as a kid. If you guys have never done that, you have a trampoline, you have a hoop. It's just fucking dangerous. That reminded me of Ben Wallace. I was always trying to do my best Ben Wallace interaction. As my friends had higher hops and uh, just more athleticism, I'd beat them down like Ben Wallace did. That's Ben Wallace to a T. It'll be interesting to see who actually goes in. Uh, but all those people, very deserving. Great to see how to shout them out. Blake Griffin to the Nets. The Nets get richer. What does this really mean, though? The Pistons didn't want him. The Pistons are 10 and 26. Besides the Timberwolves, who have been playing without Cat for a long time, worst team in the league. If he can't play there, what's he going to do to the Nets? What's he going to offer? His knees are shot. He could still shoot pretty well. Well, guess what? The Nets don't have a deep bench. They'll figure it out. But I don't think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, shit, the rich got so rich. This is a big move. This is going to leapfrog him to title stardom. This is just a role player, right? Blake Griffin at this point in his career is just a role player. If he was better, he'd be the leading scorer for the, the Pistons throughout the season. Um, so, yeah, a little shocking he went to the Nets. He said he wants to win a championship. But this is like a Gronkowski to the Buccaneers move. Not a lot I would expect to see second half, but maybe come playoff time or finals, he, makes a, he has a big moment that helps the Nets out. LaMarcus Aldridge parting ways with the Spurs. Had the big contract. This guy at one point in Portland was unbelievable. Me living in the Seattle area, Blazer fans in the same division as the Jazz, can never stop hearing about how good LaMarcus Aldridge is. And, you know, he's 35 years old. He's had very big games this year, some 30-point games, and an amazing career. And the Blazers thought they had a contending team, which I knew wasn't true and clearly wasn't true at the time. But this guy can do a lot of different things. He's had big games this year, like 30-point games, but he's 35 years old, you know, I'm not sure, but I'd rather have LaMarcus Aldridge than Blake Griffin at this point, and I think a contending team will make a move, and the clear makes sense choice to me is the Boston Celtics, who could use some size, could use some shooting from their size. They've had Tristan Thompson, who's great on the glass, but that's really his strength, and he doesn't have a lot of well-roundedness, so I'm sure teams will flock to try to get LaMarcus Aldridge. 
I just don't know how much he has left in the tank. Again, like Blake Griffin, I'm sure if he goes to a playoff team, he'll make moves in the playoffs or the finals. It could really help a team. Now we're done with the All-Star break, the shitty All-Star Sunday, uh, besides the three-point I had fun with. But now we're talking second half. Let's look at what we got in store. This Thursday, we got doubleheader on TNT. We got the Nets versus the Celtics, which is going to be massive. I'm interested to see who all plays here if Kevin Durant's healthy. Plus, the Celtics are in, like, you have to continue winning because a couple losses could put you all the way down to 10. So... That's going to be a massive game to start the doubleheader. And then we have Warriors versus Clippers. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. We got Steph Curry. It's going to be a blast. I'm super excited for this doubleheader, which makes me think TNT. They had just done the inside the uh, NBA like documentary. It was a four-part series uh, talking about each episode, uh, part of the cast members. You know, I grew up not having cable. I didn't get to watch a lot of TNT. I've always seen them on social media as they're one of the most popular shows on social media. You got Shaq in the Fool. You got people tweeting in. They're always showing their videos live. You got the scenes of Shaq falling on the cords. I've remembered that one. Uh, the hot chip Shaq stunt. That's a great one. Um, Way and Charles Barkley back in the day. So many cool stories. What an awesome documentary. I had recorded it and wasn't sure if I'd enjoy it that much, but I really did. They're known as one of like the GOAT sports shows of all time, and they really just are themselves and natural, which I definitely try to bring to you guys. You're listening to just one person, not four. But hey, business of buckets, as we evolve, as I start making a bigger name for this, I love to have at least another person because uh, it's a lot more fun to watch us you know, debate and back and forth because I can't debate what I'm saying right now is it's just me. Awesome documentary, though. I highly recommend it. Uh, was well done. Everything TNT and that crew's done has been well done. So props to them. Round of applause. One of the best shows out there. To be honest, though, I'm liking the Tuesday TNT, though. I'm a D-Wade guy, right? Candace Parker. I feel like they get a little bit more sports stats and knowledge out there and relate to the players. They're a little younger. Obviously, Charles uh, and Kenny haven't played for a while. But they have so much bickering back and forth sometimes. It's just too much of a, a clown show that I don't get a tune in. Or Tuesday is a little bit more structured, Lefko uh, managing things. And I, I, I like having Shaq there as well. But either way, TNT doing amazing things. Awesome documentary. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, we got Suns versus Blazers ending Thursday night. Boy, I wish I could go watch that game in person. Fucking Portland has no fans. Damian Lillard going up against... Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and squad. That would be must-see TV in my opinion, uh, but definitely a game to tune in. I'd expect the Suns to handle business in this one, uh, but it's it, it'll be an a, a f- offensive fireworks show for sure. Heading to the weekend. Friday, we got Nuggets versus Grizzlies on NBA TV. Big game for both teams. The Grizzlies starting to get healthy, trying to move their way up in the standings as they are currently 17-16 and 16 in the nine spot. Um, so they're, they're right there, especially at the seven to 10 play in and right above them, we got the Mavs at 19 and 16. So Nuggets versus Grizzlies, NBA TV, uh, Pacers versus Lakers. The Pacers are in the shitty situation in the East as they are only three back for the fourth place seed, but they're currently in 10th place behind the Bulls at 16 and 19. So they got to string together some wins. Really interested to see how the Lakers do second half without AD as they definitely went to a skid going into the break. I'm sure the time off has benefited them, uh, but I would look for them to assert themselves coming off the break. We got 
Saturday, Mavs versus Nuggets on NBA TV. That's going to be firepower. Luka Doncic, Jamal Murray, the Joker. Um, I'd expect the Nuggets to win that, but the Mavs are kind of back against the wall. They don't want to keep slipping down the rankings. They should be higher up. Um, they are currently two and a half back from the Nuggets, who are currently in the sixth in the West. We also have Suns versus Pacers. Suns on a roll. Pacers trying to make moves. That makes must-see TV. Sunday, Jazz versus Warriors on NBA TV. Spurs versus Sixers on NBA TV. And Clippers versus Pelicans. Star-studded matchup. Number one in the West, Jazz. We'll see how they can do their first game back from the All-Star break, uh, especially after that tough loss to the Sixers. You lose again to the, to the Warriors, uh, not putting in a good place. Spurs versus Sixers. Popovich and the Spurs sneakily hanging around. Uh, they're currently seventh in the standing, so you, you can't overlook them. And then... Um, the Suns, like I said, must-see TV. Got to love the Zion games. I'm always tuning into Pelicans games. Got the Clippers. Got the big three there. So lots of good TV coming on this weekend. And then early on in the week before, episode 13, I uh, got Clippers versus Mavericks, Pacers versus Nuggets, Grizzlies versus Suns, and Lakers versus Warriors. Playoff teams, big-name stars. Let's see who can start separating themselves in the standings. A lot of primetime TV as it's offseason NFL and baseball is just in spring training. Jazz versus Celtics on the Tuesday TNT doubleheader. The Jazz don't have a lot of televised games the second half. It's just the small marketness of the Jazz. This is their one TNT game. You know, they could be flexed into that maybe later in the year, but you have to tune into that. And then the second half doubleheader is Pelicans versus Blazers. Zion, Melo, uh, Brandon Ingram, going to be good games. Had to mention the G League. The playoffs had just happened. The championships up this week, I think Thursday. Um, but some of the highest draft, you know, potentially two top five guys or at least two top ten guys in the G League. Uh, Jalen Green in the G League playoff game. They had lost the Ignite, but had 30.7 rebounds, five assists, putting up a big stat line. Jonathan Kuminga didn't play. Um, yeah, G League championship on Thursday. I talked about wanting to dive into this a little bit as these two guys are very sought after in the draft and wanted to see some performances. Jalen Green definitely backing up his, uh, but G League's almost over, so not much left for those guys to accomplish. But it is March. What does that mean? March Madness, baby. Especially after a year, I feel like I'm Dave Chappelle. It's like, hey, you got some madness. You got some, you got some March Madness. Got some crack, man. I, I need to get some March Madness. I know that we got conference tournaments. You'll have games all day long. I'll be tuning into the tournaments. I'll be tuning in, you know, the first weekends, the best weekend next and uh, coming up next weekend. Lots of good games. The Big 12 stack, the SEC, lots of overrated teams in my opinion, but that'll be a great conference tournament. The Big East is in Madison Square Garden, especially with the Nova losing some players, not as appealing. Uh, the Big 10 going to be tough, so lots of good college basketball coming on. And when I look at the rankings... You know, I, I haven't disagreed with the rankings a lot, but there's still a few overrated teams, the same teams I've been talking about. We got Bama, number six. We got Houston, number seven, and Arkansas, number eight. I think all those teams are overrated. I'm going to be tuning into the SEC tournament just to see these teams play. Am I missing something? Am I not seeing what these guys are seeing? Because those teams should not be ranked that high. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. Before the... Um, uh, right after the podcast on Wednesday night, last night was another big showdown. We had the Sixers Jazz, Sixers doing work, Battle of the Ones. 
But we had a big battle in the Big East as Nova was looking to get revenge over a pretty bad loss on the Creighton Blue Jays. Well, they got the win. 24 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists by Justin Moore. But it was a tough day as Nova lost their senior captain, Colin Gillespie. What a tragedy. This guy is one of those guys. It's like walk-on, tough guy from Philly, all about the culture. Jay Wright loves him. And with a loss like this and not having tournament play out, assume his basketball career hopes of going to the NBA aren't going to very have much of an opportunity. But who knows? Villanova is really planting themselves. The Villanova guards doing lots of things in the NBA. I just, you know, when it comes to skill level, I thought Colin was a little overrated. I don't think he was as good as the Jalen Brunsons, um, the um, Mikel Bridges, the uh, DiVincenzos of the world, or even Archie Dia- um Archie Diakon- Archie from uh, Villanova. He's got his little brother playing on the team right now. So maybe he'll get a shot. He'll get on a team and prove himself just off work ethic and grit. But tough for Villanova. I, you know, that was a team being a fan of that I wasn't sure how I was going to do in the bracket based on matchups. But now I don't think it's going to be a very good tournament. Um, you know, they're going to live and die by uh, Robinson Earl. Jalen Samuels has been looking good lately. I think he's the key, but it's going to be a tough road for them ahead uh, without that starting point guard as they really don't have a good fill-in for him. Also that Wednesday, Michigan took over Michigan State as it was their first game of two and five days. Uh, Wagner with a 19.6 rebound night. And then Baylor also took down Oklahoma State, who's been surging of late. But Butler, proven they're the best in the Big 12, um, Jared Butler from Butler had 22 points. Uh, Cade Cunningham with 24 and 7. And then also that night, Texas beat Oklahoma. We had talked about Oklahoma being overrated. Um, they did it without any standout performances. Andrew Jones did shoot 2 of 2 from deep. I had talked about he needs to make efficient shots from deep for them to win. Uh, but just proves that they're pretty overrated. Oklahoma's now sitting at 25 in the rankings. So I was right on that one. Got you guys. Um, but yeah. Saturday, Nova, first game without Gillespie, dropped one to Providence, kind of, you know, proof of the pudding, uh, losing to a not very good Providence team, athletic team. Uh, But Jermaine Samuels, who is my favorite player and I think the key to the team at this point, really stepped up the second half. He finished with 21 points, eight rebounds. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, just... He's looking streaky, man. He's great defensively, but of offensive game, they've had him in and out of point guard. Like he just seems all over the place and his draft stock, I would assume is dropping pretty good. Um, I hope this is good for Nova as I hope he returns and builds up his stock next year. Cause I think he could be deadly um, versus going to the league this year, uh, but we'll see what happens. David Duke, the athletic guard of Providence, 20 points, seven assists. Really big game. Uh, Illinois beating Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State in the rematch. What an awesome game that was. Another big game Saturday. You know, it's hoops. It's March. We got big games. Oklahoma State over West Virginia without Cade Cunningham, who'd sprained his ankle. I believe West Virginia was at full health. So, hey, that Oklahoma State team and Cade Cunningham, probably the number one pick, is really rolling right now. I could imagine that if they somehow gain momentum to win the Big 12 tournament, that could leapfrog them to very good momentum into the big dance and would be a team that I will pick very far. You know, the bracket's all about matchups and what's going on. But hey, this team's picking up steam at the right time, and West Virginia is no slouch whatsoever. With Cade Cunningham out, Cade Cunningham out 
Sophomore Avery Anderson III had 31 points, 6 assists. So big performance by him. This kid's no joke either. That other that team with their other role players outside of Cunningham does have some talent and probably be a pretty good team next year. I'm sure Avery Anderson will be leading them next year. Florida State dropped to unranked Notre Dame Saturday. Tough loss for them as they were 11. Now they fall down to 15 in the rankings. Uh, Michigan State won the rematch against uh, Michigan. Like I said, they had played two games in five days. Rocket Watts with 21 points. You know, tough loss for Michigan. This is a very great team. I love Juwan Howard coaching them. But I feel like they don't have a player that really helps them. More in close games, he doesn't take over. They don't have a one player. It's just a very good, solid team. An example in this game, Wagner, who's probably projected to be the highest draft pick off Michigan, 10 points on 12 shots. That's not going to get the job done. Uh, so interested to see how Michigan comes out of the Big Ten and what they can do. They win the Big Ten. I think I'm going to have them probably in the Final Four. But I need to see someone step up in March. It's that time of year where people step up. So let's see it. Uh, Baylor over Texas Tech. This time it was Teague. I told you guys I like Butler. Uh, I liked him last year as well. Because when you look at the box score, they got a Teague. Who's, you know, there's two Teagues. Have been two Teagues in the NBA. There's a Butler, like Jimmy Butler. And then there's a Mitchell. And it's a D Mitchell. Davian, I believe. Like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, so it just reminds me of an NBA team because how cool would it be to have like Jeff Teague in his prime, Donovan Mitchell, and Jimmy Butler. Regardless, this game was all about Maceo Teague, the third best guard on that Butler team. 35 points, 10 from 12 from deep. If he's shooting like that, that team's playing like that. Watch out, Gonzaga. They're going to win it all. Can't wait to see the matchups. Um, within this game, McClung just been in a slump lately. Uh, he only had seven points in that loss. He's got to step up if Texas Tech wants to come out uh, with momentum in this Big 12 tournament coming up and also if they want to make moves in the big dance. Iowa beat Michigan. Again, good team. Need someone to step up. Garza stepped up for Iowa, though. He had been in a slump. I know they had some COVID issues midseason, so has Michigan, but he had 21.16 rebounds, solidifying, proving Iowa, I believe, to be a... Um, uh, right on the borderline of a one seed and someone that I would not want to fuck with in the tournament. But hey, it's conference tournament and bracket time. Like I said, Big 12, SEC, Big 12, Big 10 tournaments. Those are going to be amazing. The Big East is fun. It's Madison Square Garden. Not as intriguing skill level wise this year. But like I said, you get momentum here. You can gain momentum to the tournament with the right pieces, right time. Especially a lot of the teams that have freshmen that are now figuring out the culture, getting momentum and chemistry within their teams. And I had talked about the Blue Bloods. Some of them are battling to get in. They can get those momentum with their freshmen. But the uh, the team that comes to my mind is that UConn team with Kemba Walker. They weren't expected to win the Big East. They won the Big East, kept that momentum, and won in the national championship. And the team that's sticking to me right now is Oklahoma State. They look a lot like that team. Um, and based off matchups, when I reveal my bracket on Instagram Live with you guys, BNB fans, sports fans around the world, um, it's going to be a good time, man. Brackets are my favorite. Looking to win some dough, prove you guys I know what the fuck I'm talking about, and we'll have a good time. Let's look. We got Nova and Georgetown in the Big East Tournament. Georgetown has played Nova tough this year, so I'll be interested to see how they do early in that tournament. I would hope they could win at least a round. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a challenge for them, though, to get out of the Big East. I, I don't expect them to win it, but hopefully they at least win one game. 
Uh, Oklahoma State versus West Virginia right back to back. They had just played without Cade Cunningham. You know, I'm going to pick Oklahoma State, but this is going to be a toss-up. We'll see who wants it more, what star players perform, uh, as West Virginia has a very good McBride. They got Culver. They got a good squad. Um, Texas versus Texas Tech. This is their third matchup. Uh, Texas Tech had swept them during the season. But Texas really got thrown out of funk with the COVID issues. Andrew Jones shooting more efficient. Kai Jones, one of the you know bigger draft prospects in the NBA. Those guys get it figured out. I'm probably going to take Texas in this one. Might get a little parlay going uh, for some early round tournament stuff before the the, the big dance. Uh, but that's going to be a matchup that's must see. And then um, Arkansas and Alabama, like I said, I'll be tuning in them in the SEC. And a lot of the guys that are high level picks, you got to watch those teams. Um, but I'm also going to be watching the the Blue Bloods, the Kentuckys, the teams that the North Carolinas that are right there, probably going to be in, maybe not going to be in. What can they do to prove themselves? Can they win their uh, conference tournaments outright? But again, doing bracket reveal on Instagram. Bracket comes out Sunday. I'll be out there. Let's talk shop. Tune in. Talk shit. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me what you think. I'm looking to get some banter. Looking to get some things going. Uh, you know, I wish I had the fandom of inside the NBA where people are tweeting me and, and responding to me all the time, but we're getting there, baby. I've had some, some viewers from all around the world. Now I saw some Germany, some Italy, some France, some Sweden have no idea how they got it. Had to have been the internet. Uh, plus got a, a good spread going in the U S so we continue to grow. I'll continually put out content. And if you want me to talk about something or, Hey, the Shane guy seems like he knows what he's talking about. Let's see what he's got to say. Throw him my way. Would love to dive in last couple things let's talk baseball spring training has been a blast i wanted to go to phoenix for spring training doesn't look like it's going to happen probably catch a sun's game and a diamondbacks game but i love spring training one of the best times of the year um i I bought mlb tv uh watching the angels now it's kind of a funny like young sports fans like i made it moment i remember being a kid and nfl sunday ticket was a thing and you look at the price tag, then there's NBA, then there's MLB. It's like, man, whoever could afford that shit must be doing pretty well. Well, I got Sunday ticket this year. I got the NBA League Pass. I got MLB TV, and you get to watch spring training. So I've been tuning into the Angels. Watch out, Otani. He's looking good. He might be back. Uh, Joe Madden's letting him play ball the way he wants. No restrictions. I put an MVP bet on him because why the fuck not? Uh, I think it was like 20, 25 bucks for like 1400 so... Excited for baseball to go. Um, you know, some shitty news. Joey Votto did test COVID positive. It's going to be interesting to see how they track things, how they quarantine within baseball because there's so many fucking players, staff, especially in spring training. You got the AAA players. So AAA being delayed, those guys, we talked about the issues that they're going to go through this uh, last podcast. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage this. I hope it really doesn't throw a, a lot of curveballs in. I play fantasy baseball. If you want to play fantasy baseball, let me know. I've got a couple spots open, uh, but it's going to be tough to manage. I hope my commish gives me some IL spots or some IR spots, COVID spots, whatever, because we'll probably need them. But the good news on this, I mean, Texas is Texas, but the Rangers are allowing 100% capacity. Most of all MLB has allowed fans. I live in Seattle. They are hopeful, but no official word. I believe it's like the Nationals and the Mariners are the only team to confirm, not confirm fans yet. So baseball's back. Hopefully I get to be a part of that because I want to see some Mariners games, want to see Mike Trout and the Angels come to town, want to see some some good talented teams. I know the White Sox come pretty early. The Dodgers would love to go to those games. 
you know, Texas isn't like fully like fuck everything. They are making masks mandatory. Uh, but I really hope the Mariners let us in for some games. Supercross is back in one of my favorite places, any sport, uh, any racing sport, Daytona, baby. When I think Daytona, I think that crazy sand section. You know, I've never raced dirt bikes, uh, any kind of level like this, or barely even ridden bikes. But, dude, riding one through that sand section, I could only imagine the flariness and the craziness that's going to happen. So I do expect some crazy shit to happen. I did expect some crazy shit to happen. And the 250 class, this is, I believe, the East. They split it up this year. You know, I, I still don't fully understand what's happening there. But Cameron McAdoo finished first, Justin Cooper second, and Garrett Marchbanks first. Keeps McAdoo first in the points, but they've only had, I think, three races, maybe even two races in this division. We move to the big boys, the ones that I care about, the 450 class. Fucking Cooper Webb just straight hit Roxon in their first corner, put him back. I think he fell four or five spots. He knew he had to do it. He's behind Roxon in the points, but I cannot stand Cooper Webb. Things are getting feisty. It's heating up. The point standings are getting interesting, though. So Cooper Webb fucking Roxon off early. Let Tomac get the dub. Which makes things interesting because Tomac's closer in points. Tomac can string together a lot of wins. And I don't know how many Daytona wins. It's like five for him. Uh, so good to see him back on the saddle. Uh, Cooper somehow last second past Aaron Plessinger for second to get closer to Ken Roxon in points. He was uh, you know, sitting in third for a while. But Plessinger finished third, Roxon fourth. Malcolm Stewart still in the middle, finished fifth. Justin Barsha still lingering at a six-point finish. Ex-champ Justin Anderson with a seventh-place finish. Colin Sexton, the other Honda HRC rider, an eighth-place finish. First race back since his injury. And what a tough, tough night for Marvin Muscan. 21st-place finish. So this gives us the points. We got Roxon 199. Cooper Webb in second at 197. It's getting close. Tomac, 175, Barsha, 153, and fourth. Tomac's not out of it, but goddamn this race between Roxon and Webb. It makes it more fun, right? I'm tuning in. If Roxon kept winning, it was 20, 30 points. I would still record and watch the races, but it, it wouldn't be as much fun. So it's going to be interesting to how this shakes out. I don't believe I saw anything from Roxon about Webb cutting him off in that corner, but you know there's going to be emotions. He's seeing that. He knows he's coming for it. I hope he gives him a taste of his own medicine, but it might get a little feisty coming here the, the second half. Um, the next three races, we got in Arlington in Texas. Probably going to be a good amount of fans there, so excited for that. We got one Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Depending on podcast, might be able to cover the Tuesday as well, but most likely, as long as I got my shit together, I'm recording Tuesday night, so... Um, lots coming up in Supercross. We got second half Supercross. We got March Madness, second half NBA. Lots of shit to talk about. Super pumped. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was some random shit I saw as my non-story story. Got a couple segments we're rocking. We got my non-story story and the sports take of the week. I talked sports take of the week at the start of the show with Colin Coward and his Cowboys talking about having five highest paid players at their position and how it's just not going to work out for them. Um, but then my non-story story is a random fight that's happening. Jake Paul, Ben Askren, you know, I really want Askren to win as an ex-professional fighter just to put down this YouTube star, but he was hanging out with Logan Paul and his brother in studio, making friends. I think they did some podcasts or some shit that just shows me that Ben's in it for the money. 
And I haven't really seen him train that makes me like, holy shit, this guy really wants it. So I'm a little worried about that. And this non-story story has me worried for MMA fans and professionals as it might get ugly. That's it, baby. Episode 12, once again, brought to you by Fueled Supplements. Go on their website. If you're buying proteins, you're buying supplements, give them a shot. They're the real fucking deal, Holyfield. And they got some good things going on. Support local businesses. That's what makes America beautiful. People have an opportunity to be an entrepreneur. We talk about it on the business episodes. Um, But support local business and buckets. Promotion code buckets for 20% off. Catch you guys next week.